very warm welcome to all of you. Thanks for uh, making it out of bed this morning and braving the cold elements and uh, coming to join us in worship today. Uh, my name is Andrew. Uh, I think I've met most of you by now, but if, uh, if we haven't met, uh, I guess you'll have a chance to get to know me over the next two, three hours or so as we're here together. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll have you home in time for football, I, I think. We are... Uh, in a new year, and we are starting a new series in the book of Ephesians, and I am very excited uh, to be able to be a part of this study with all of you. Uh, I, I truly believe that uh, the book of Ephesians is a type of a, a book, as, as you study it, as you uh, break it apart, as you, as you digest it, uh, and, and let it kind of sink in to your soul, it, it has the the power um, to, to not only transform your, in, your individual lives, but has the, the, the power to transform an entire church, an entire community. And, and as we've been uh, preparing for this series and we've been, been praying and studying the book of Ephesians together, uh, that has been our prayer, uh, that, uh, that we, would be, we would be changed as a result of this study. So we're going to be up here uh, teaching through Ephesians for... Uh, the next uh, 12, 13 weeks, something like that, up until just about Easter. Uh, so uh, this is a great opportunity for you to uh, get out your Bible when you're at home, read through the book of Ephesians. It's a, it's a small book, about 2,000 words, um, about, uh, I think, uh, four and a half, five pages in my Bible. So uh, it's an easy book to read and reread and read many, many times. It's also appropriate right now as we're uh, kind of in that beginning of the year, process. People are making New Year's resolutions and uh, thinking about what they want, their goals for 2014. Um, people are thinking about things about themselves that they want to change, things about themselves that uh, uh, they want to improve, and uh, it's a time to kind of critically evaluate who you are and where you're going. And the book of Ephesians, uh, as you can see on the, on the graphic, it's all about our identities in Christ. And so as we are... Uh, thinking about and through the book of Ephesians and you're thinking about your New Year's resolutions and your goals for 2014, keep in mind that there's a richness and a power and a beauty and a hope in Christ that each one of us, when we call Christ our Lord, we receive. And it's ours. It's not something that you have to work towards. It's not something you have to, you have to earn. It's not something that... that uh, you have to go out and, and get. It's just, it's just yours. It's a free gift. But so often, throughout the course of life, we forget. We, uh, we get distracted. We get discouraged. And, uh, and that identity, that, 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 that reality of, of who we are, the fullness of Christ, to be a child of God, gets neglected. So we're going to spend a little bit of time. We're going to do uh, Ephesians from about 30,000 feet. Uh, we're going to do uh, just a quick overview of the book of Ephesians by way of introduction, but uh, we'll spend uh, more time in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. Uh, you can open up. We'll, we'll go there. Um, anytime I read uh, one of Paul's epistles, I like to go back into the book of Acts and, and see what was going on when, when Paul was first ministering there. It gives a lot of insight into what's going on. So, so that's what we're going to do uh, today. Um, 
But uh, before we do that, uh, I'm going to maybe share one quick story um, that I think is, is relevant. American history is full of uh, odd characters and tragic tales, but uh, there might not be any more odd or any more tragic than the, the case of Hetty Green. Hetty uh, spent most of her adult life bouncing around in, in small, drab, oftentimes unheated apartments between Hoboken, New Jersey. Am I saying that right? Hoboken? That's kind of a fun word. Hoboken, New Jersey, and Brooklyn, New York. She uh, lived a, a pretty, uh, off a pretty simple diet that mostly consisted of oatmeal that uh, she rarely even warmed up. Uh, she'd eat it cold because um, heating the water on the kettle was just a little bit too expensive, so she would just eat her oatmeal cold. Um, people would uh, see her kind of gaunt and thin, uh, sickly-looking frame, and, and doctors would say, well, you need to you need to drink some whole milk, try and get, get some more calories, get a little fat in your diet. But uh, when she did get around to buying milk, she uh, would always buy skim milk because it was, it was cheaper, so she'd, she'd save money that way. She didn't really uh, have time uh, or the, the luxury of, of, of doctors. Uh, she didn't utilize them very often. In fact, uh, when her son Ned was just a young child, he was involved in an accident and, and wound up breaking his leg. And rather than taking him to see a doctor, she, she hoped that maybe by taking him home and, and, and giving him bed rest, that the leg would mend itself and uh, she wouldn't have to pay a visit uh, to the doctor. But uh, after uh, quite some time and, and realizing the leg was not uh, getting any better, she, she finally um, went in to the free clinic. And when the doctor saw the leg, unfortunately there was, there was little left to, to be done other than amputating the leg. So, so Ned... Uh, uh, went his life without, uh, without the use of his leg, um, having it uh, amputated from uh, just above the knee. It's a strange, strange story. It, it sounds a lot like a lot of uh, kind of tragic tales. Uh, in every culture, in every society, there's innumerable uh, people who just try and make a living and provide for their basic needs and the needs of their family. Um, and just get by on life, and, and Hetty was no, uh, no exception. She, she wore a, a black, single black dress that was, was often dirty. It was kind of threadbare. Uh, she, she just washed it uh, when she could, but uh, she would walk around. She was this kind of pale, uh, gaunt character that, be, that would walk everywhere she went, and as she walked down the financial district in, in uh, New York in this black dress, kids would actually run away from her. They called her the witch. And uh, behind her back, they called her the witch. And the witch, this name stuck, the witch of Wall Street, Hetty Green. And it's a, it's a terribly tragic story, but the, the most peculiar part about it is that in 1916, when, when Hetty died, she had amassed a fortune of over $100 million in the bank. $100 million dollars in 1916. If you uh, account for inflation uh, and calculate that in today's dollars, we're talking about well over a billion dollars. A billion dollars. That's not just rich. That's like Warren Buffett rich. That's like um, 
That's like Bruce Wayne rich. It's incredible. What a, what, what a, what a tragic story that even with her own health on the line and the, the, the health of her own child, her only son, she had all these resources available to her at her disposal, but she utilized none of them. It's terrible. It's unfathomable. Well, unfortunately, church, I hate to say this, but uh, I think that we all have a lot more in common with Hetty Green than we would care to admit. And it's not because we're all undercover millionaires, I think. If you are, you can tell me later. But, but here we are as the church, the people of God, walking around with all this richness, all this power, all this hope in Christ. Yet so, so rarely do we ever realize just exactly what we have and how to utilize it. It's a tragedy, and it's a shame. But that's what the book of, of Ephesians is about. Paul is, is writing from prison to a, a church that he founded in Ephesus, trying to remind them to remember Remember what they have in Christ. Remember who they are in Christ. Remember all these things that you have been given. So we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time talking about what happened during Paul's ministry there, and we're going to look a little bit more uh, just exactly what the message uh, to the Ephesians was. But first, I'm just going to pause and, and, and pray. God, we are so thankful to be able to gather here in a warm place, in a place that is not only warmed by by heat, but uh, just filled with your Holy Spirit and, uh, and full of people who, uh, even though they, they might be strangers, they are, we are one in Christ, and we, we are filled with the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and uh, so we are delighted to be gathered together here today in your name and uh, to be a part of this thing called the church. And God, we just ask that as we study your word, as we read through the book of Ephesians and we see what's going on here, you would remind us who we are, both as individuals and collectively as a church, as a, as a local congregation here in Urbandale, Iowa, and also as the global church, the, the body of Christ that is, that is everywhere on this earth, um, that is spreading your gospel, that is... That is, is uh, uh, loving our enemies and is making sacrifices in the name of Jesus. We, we want to pray specifically for uh, places uh, and brothers and sisters in Christ who are um, maybe suffering persecution, maybe they're suffering hardship, maybe they're suffering through, through poverty, those, those people who are uh, maybe exposed to the cold elements and don't have a warm place to come in like we do. Uh, whatever it is, Lord, we, uh, we pray uh, for ourselves and we pray for your church, God, that, uh, that uh, in 2014 we would see an awakening, uh, that, uh, that we see your church moving powerfully in the lives of the lost, in the lives of the hurting, in the lives of the hungry. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 
Paul first came to, to Ephesus at the very end of his second missionary journey. You can, you can read about that, uh, about Acts uh, 18 or thereabouts. Uh, he, he, made a, he made a contact there in Ephesus and, and promised to come back, uh, which he did at the beginning of his third missionary journey. Ephesus was a very important uh, town, and, uh, uh, really a city in, in the, uh, the Roman era. Uh, you can see it right there. It's basically in the center of the map, Ephesus. It's, uh, it was a major harbor town uh, um, on the GNC, so uh, it, it provided uh, commercial advantages for, uh, for shipping from Rome, from, from Athens and, 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 and the Greek Isles, and uh, was also a major inlet uh, that, uh, that connected to a major Roman highway. If you know anything about the Romans, you know they were great at building roads, and, uh, and uh, that was the main thoroughfare as you were trying to go back east towards uh, Jerusalem, towards Antioch, where, uh, where Paul's uh, kind of home base was when he was, wasn't uh, out uh, ministering. Uh, it was kind of a cultural uh, kind of epicenter, a hub, as, as you can think of all the people coming in and out on the highways and, and through the seas. Uh, there, was, uh, there, were, there were people from all nationalities uh, living in Ephesus. It was uh, thought to be one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and uh, some have even said it was the, uh, probably next to, to, to Rome itself, was probably the most strategically important city. It was a, a major, major thoroughfare uh, strategically within the Roman Empire. And if you, if you kind of look closely at the, church, at the map, I know it's kind of small and hard to read, um, but you can also see that if you know anything about Paul's ministry, Ephesus was right in the middle of all the ministry that he was doing as he was called to take the gospel from the Jewish people to the Gentiles. Uh, if, you, if you see uh, Antioch on the, the, the bottom right corner, um, is that right? You're right, yep. Uh, Antioch is where, where Paul spent a lot of his time. Uh, he, uh, he established churches in Lystra, Derby, and Iconium in the, the uh, province of Galatia, which uh, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, uh, those are three of the prominent cities in that region, and, and, and Paul spent a, a, a lot of time there early on in his ministry. Uh, clear off to the west, you can see Corinth. You can see up in the north, you can see Thessalonica and Philippi, uh, places where, where Paul had established churches and um, and so Ephesus, um, amongst other things, even aside from its strategic importance, it was a place right dead center for him to, to uh, kind of correspond. He did a lot of his work, uh, th- obviously writing letters and, um, and also going to visit and handling things. So as Paul was in Ephesus, he was there for about three years, we know. Uh, we know at least one of the book, books of the Corinthians, if not uh, the, sec- the, the second one also was written, by Paul, most likely while he was in Ephesus ministering amongst the Ephesians. So, uh, incredibly important uh, city, an incredibly important ministry of Paul. Um, it had a long-term, a long-term, um, a, a long-term uh, ministry uh, significance, and uh, we know that uh, John uh, probably wrote his. Uh, his gospel account about 30 or 40 years later from the town of Ephesus uh, before he was uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which is actually just not too far off of 
uh, the coast of Ephesus there. So uh, an, important, an important location, a strategic location, uh, a, a ministry hub for sure, and uh, that's where, where Paul, uh, like I said, spent, it was where he spent the most time of any of his uh, ministry as he was doing his missionary journeys. Uh, he, was, he was spending a lot of time in Ephesus. Um, and while he was there, he did really, really incredible things. We're talking about stuff that is, um, you know, the only word you can really use to describe it is, is revival. He was in there. He started preaching, as was his custom, first in the synagogues and uh, going first to the Jews and, and reasoning with them, trying to tell them that the Messiah that they were anticipating had already come, and he was, his name was Jesus Christ. And uh, some of them believed, and some of them didn't, and eventually he, uh, he kind of took his, his show from uh, the, the synagogue into a uh, more of a public debate center uh, uh, where uh, not only he could, he could uh, speak with Jews, but also uh, people that were from a, uh, a secular, non-Jewish background, the, the Gentiles. Um, so here, I'm going to read uh, from Acts 19, uh, and, and I'm just going to read some of this without comment, because uh, what you hear in Acts 19 is just the story of a, of a revival, crazy things happening here. So Paul entered into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? They were there for two years, and because of the work that they had done, all the people, Jews and Gentiles alike, had heard about the word of the Lord. Amazing. Now, of course, you can see Ephesus, you know, when they talk about Asia, we're not talking about China in that area. What, what, when, when they're referring to Asia in this regard, they're talking to, to what is now modern-day Turkey. Um, and, uh, and, but, uh, but as you can see, between the seaport and all these roads coming in and out of Ephesus, they were making so much noise. They were, they were teaching so much about the gospel. Everybody in Turkey had heard about the word of the Lord. It's incredible. God did, listen to this, this is, this, is, this is remarkable. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. He just had to touch something. He didn't even have to go up and show up and, 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 and pray over these people. He would just touch an apron and, and, and that would take and, and, and people would be healed. When Jesus was standing before his disciples and saying, you know what, you guys, when I, when I leave and, and my Holy Spirit comes and you guys are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to do greater things than even I did. This is what he's talking about. People are being healed. Cultures are being changed. People are hearing about the word of the Lord and, and, and stuff is happening. In fact, they, they were, they were um, so successful in their ministry, there were actually imposters wandering around imitating and mimicking the ministry of Paul. Listen to this. Just this again. This is just straight from the Bible. I'm not even. I'm not even making this up. I'm just going to read this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, 
In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. We're, ta- we're, t- we're talking about wannabe exorcists here, imp- imposters imitating Paul and, and, uh, and his, his, his followers, the followers of Christ, saying, in the name of Jesus, the guy that Paul talks about. So here's these, these seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish a chief priest, were doing this, uh, chapter, or verse 14. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who the heck are you? These people are coming around mimicking, Jesus, mimicking Paul, calling on the name of Jesus, doing spiritual warfare. And so this, uh, there's this confrontation where the, with this, with this demon-possessed man. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Again, I'm not making this up. I mean, this, this is too good for, for me. This is, this is straight from Scripture. Incredible things are happening in Ephesus. The power of the Holy Spirit is upon them. The, power, the work of Christ is, is working within them, changing and transforming culture. Now, uh, Ephesus was being, a, being kind of a, a, a cosmopolitan area and, 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 and with a lot of movement of cultures, uh, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of spiritual warfare. Ephesus was kind of known as a town where a lot of spiritual warfare, uh, things like that happened, uh, demonic strongholds. Uh, there was actually a, uh, a, a temple to uh, the goddess of Artemis. Um, it's, uh, it was known uh, in, in the classical world as one of the seven wonders of the world. That is the uh, artist's rendition of, of, what that, uh, of what that temple uh, likely looked like uh, in its day. Uh, Artemis uh, was the, uh, what the, uh, the Greeks and, and the, uh, the Persians uh, called the goddess. Uh, the Romans later would call her Diana. Uh, they like to give their own, their own names, whatever. Goddess of the hunt, uh, goddess of fertility, um, goddess of all sorts of things. Um, uh, but uh, there was this big, beautiful temple there. Uh, it, it had been there uh, ever um, since the, the Babylonians and, and probably even before that. We don't know exactly when the temple was first established, but uh, it was known as one of the great architectural wonders of the world, uh, a, a, an incredible uh, spectacle and a, um, a stronghold for uh, demonic worship or at least the worship of, of idols. And... Um, it doesn't look like that anymore. Uh, this is really all that's left, uh, so you kind of got to use your imagination. Uh, that's just, uh, um, you know, the historic site of the Temple of Artemis now. Those are just uh, some pieces of columns that they just kind of put on top, stacked on top of each other, and ta-da! That's kind of it. So it's, it's a little underwhelming now, so, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't go to Turkey uh, just to see it, uh, because, uh, you know, you can just look at the pictures now, I guess. But... Um, but there was all the spiritual warfare going on. There was uh, there, uh, the, this temple to, uh, to Artemis uh, was there. And uh, they, had, um, they had become so successful in their ministry that people that were practicing sorcery, people that were practicing witchcraft, people that were, were worshiping Artemis, they, they, uh, they, they began to take all their old books, all their old uh, witchcraft books uh, and books of sorcery. They would actually sell these little, um, you know, single scrolls with, a, you know, some sort of an incantation on them or whatever that it would be uh, part of their uh, kind of religious currency. But they had a big bonfire and everyone came out and, and, and burned them in the public square right, uh, right here. 
Um, a number, uh, verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought in their scrolls together and burdened them publicly. When they calculated the values of the scrolls, uh, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma is like a day's wages or, you know, something like that, 50 bucks or something like that today, I don't know. Um, in this way, the, the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. These people are repenting. They're taking their old uh, habits, their old practices, uh, their old spiritual practices, um, especially practices that, that had to do with uh, demonic forces, that had to do with, with, with powers other than the power of Christ, and they were burning them, they were repenting them, of them. Amazing things were happening. Incredible things were happening. And here, this is, this is probably my favorite part, because you know how, you know when a real revival it's when you know that a revival is actually happening and God's spirit is moving, the culture is changing, not only do our people's lives changing, but their habits are changing so much that it's actually having a dramatic impact on the economy. See, things started getting bad for Paul in Ephesus when the people that were making money building little idols, little statues of Artemis, these sil- silversmiths, there was, a whole, there was a whole cottage industry, a, a apparently pretty powerful one, uh, of building these, these silversmiths for people that were making pilgrimages to the temple of Artemis and then selling these little, these little uh, tiny silver uh, idols to take home. But uh, they, were, they, were, uh, they were feeling the squeeze because nobody wanted to buy their idols anymore. Just imagine that. Just imagine. Say, say, what if, for example, Monday morning Nick gets a call from uh, the manager over at Panera and maybe the manager at Dolls and the manager at Hy-Vee. Say, hey, Nick, you know what? We're shutting down business on, on Sunday mornings. Nobody, nobody wants to come in here and buy bagels anymore because everyone's going to church. Everyone wants to go worship Jesus. People are, people are shutting down. Nothing's, nothing's available because everyone, everyone is just wanting to come to church. The power of God is at work. Even better still, you know, all the, uh, all the drug dealers, all the people that run, run the uh, CD lounges and the gentlemen's clubs and all that, they're, they're saying, you know what, nobody wants to get high anymore because everyone's being filled by the Spirit. Everyone, everyone's coming to Christ. Incredible. Wouldn't that be awesome to see the power of God working in such a way that uh, it just changes people's habits, that it changes, it actually has an impact on the economy? But these silversmiths, they weren't having it. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy, uh, he kind of rallied up his buddies, and they actually started a riot. And they got all the people in all the town worked up. After two years of ministry, Paul ended up having to flee. He had to, he had to leave Ephesus really under the threat of death because he wanted to go face this, uh, this crowd. Uh, Ephesus had, had a, a really remarkable amphitheater um, that uh, um, was used for, first it was used for plays, and then when the Romans came in, they would do gladiatorial games and kill people and animals and all that other stuff. But uh, they had filled this place up, 25,000 people filled, rioting, and, and, and people were so enraged. Paul wanted to get out. Of course, Paul's, Paul's Paul. He wanted to get out and preach to him, of course, but uh, everyone, all of his buddies were like, Paul, I don't think you're going to, you know, you know. So uh, he, uh, he ended up slipping out the, the back door, as it were, and uh, um, said goodbye to his, his, uh, his friends uh, after two years. And, um, and so you kind of see this as, this is a, uh, 
I think you could call this a, a Dickensian swing, a, uh, the best of times, the worst of times, a tale of two Ephesuses, you know, uh, incredible ministry, people coming to know, everybody in Asia knew about the, the way of the Lord because of the work that Paul had done and then eventually getting run out of town uh, out the back door. And uh, the, uh, the last thing that he was able to, uh, last message that uh, he spoke to the leaders of the church in Ephesus is actually uh, recorded in Acts chapter 20. You can go there now. Um, you see, he's, uh, uh, he fled from, uh, from Ephesus. He, he, he eventually fled north and, uh, and um, kind of went and made his rounds to the churches. And then as he was coming back through, back down to Jerusalem, uh, he, stopped, uh, he stopped in a nearby city, uh, Miletus, and, uh, and actually called for the Ephesian elders to come to see him. It was a short, short journey, but he dared not go back into the city of Ephesus for fear of his life. And uh, so he, he has this exchange with them. And, um, and keep in mind all these incredible things that had been happening just a few years earlier. And, uh, and this is what he says. Now I know that none of, you, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. By the way, this is, this is our last goodbye. Of course, he's going to write a letter to them, which we're going to eventually get to. Um, Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Oh, by the way, hey, your blood's not on my hands. You know what? You guys are going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to feel the wrath that we felt on the day of that riot. There are going to be false teachers rising up among you. There, you are going to be killed. Some of you are going to be stoned. Some of you are going to be beheaded. I'm innocent of your blood. I, I lived amongst you. I told you about the kingdom of God. Your blood's on your own hands. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I had never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And that was it. They spent time uh, praying together after that and they weeped because they knew that they weren't going to see each other ever again. And that was, that was, that was it. It's kind of a tragic story it's hard to imagine something that got off to such a, a powerful and incredible start could have such a, a, an abrupt and uh, kind of negative uh, end, just, just like that. Hey, guess what? I'm leaving. Um, there's going to be wolves coming amongst you. They're going to be tearing at the flock. You're going to be inundated. But you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like life. Those of you who, uh, and hopefully, hopefully most, if not all of you in here, I hope you remember that moment when you first came to know the Lord, when you first, uh, when you first believed and you were told that uh, you were no longer an enemy of God, that any business between you and God 
any debt that you owed was paid for by Jesus Christ and that his blood covered everything that, uh, that you had done wrong or will ever do wrong. Not only that, but God had adopted you as his, only, as his son so that along with Christ you could be sons and co-heirs to the kingdom of God. That he filled you with his Holy Spirit so the power that actually raised Christ from the dead, the power of God, lives and resides inside of you. What an incredible feeling. I, I hope everyone's experienced that at least once. And if not, ask God. Ask God for that. For that hope. For that, for that assurance. And, and unfortunately for all of us, and, and it is all of us, it's a fleeting moment. You can't stay on that mountaintop. As incredible as the things that were going on in Ephesus were, the wolves were coming. That's life. That's just the way it is. Callie and I were, were out to dinner Monday night. We're celebrating our, our seven-year wedding anniversary and, and uh, seven years. I, I feel like the luckiest man in the, the world uh, to, to be married to her, and, and she hasn't quite... Uh, quite uh, given up on me yet, I guess, so seven years is, is, is great, and, but I, I remember, gosh, the, the, the first time, the, the first time we, the first date, the first time we held hands, the first kiss, the, that, that romance, that excitement, that, that feeling of being a newlywed, uh, just all that energy, that excitement, that kind of gravity that would just draw us together from across the room, and here we are seven years later, you know what, we've got to fight for that. We've got kids, we've got jobs, we've got a mortgage, we've got all these things that we've got to do and we've got to fight to, to, to kind of remain in that love. And it's a, that same way in Christ. You, you have that incredible feeling, that incredible closeness, that incredible warmth and that credible, incredible confidence. But life gets in the way. Life always gets in the way of living, doesn't it? And that's the story of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, um, up to that point. But that's why we have this incredible letter, this, this book of the, of the Ephesians. Uh, Paul wrote, actually, what he was uh, most likely in, 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 uh, in Rome, uh, but he was in prison. We know that much for sure. Uh, he was wait, awaiting trial. Uh, he, was, he, you know, he had a very real chance that he was going to be executed. At, um, and, and Paul is, is, is writing to the Ephesians, and he's reminding them, saying, remember, remember who you are in Christ. Remember those days. Remember when all that incredible stuff was happening. Nothing has changed. God doesn't change. His spirit doesn't change. Your identity in him does not change just because things are different, just because it's harder now, just because people aren't just kind of flocking to, uh, to the lecture hall to hear, to hear the teaching of Christ, just because the newness of the message has, has, has worn off, just because you've, you've faced a little bit of opposition, nothing has changed. So, so Paul is saying, remember who you are in Christ. The word in Christ, that statement, um, or, um, or other, uh, other pronouns um, uh, referring to Christ, they occur over 30 times, 33 by my count. Uh, I've, I've heard more, I've heard less. Uh, 33 different references to this understanding of in Christ in this, in this small book of Ephesians. He's over and over and over again saying, 
Remember who you are in Christ. That has not changed. For good or for bad, for better or for worse, just like your marriage vows, that love is there. Your identity remains in Christ. So uh, just a, a couple of things. I promised you a 30,000-foot uh, uh, view of Ephesians here before we finish, and uh, I, think, uh, I think I'm past that point. But uh, go ahead and give me the first one here. Um, remember who you are. Remember the hope and the riches and the power available to you in Christ. Uh, verse uh, 118, I pray that, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for all those who believe. Amen. He's praying, remember, that they would remember. That's going to be our prayer for all of you and all of us, that we would remember who we are in Christ. Remember the, the glorious gift that we've been giving, this bottomless treasure chest in Christ. And, and second of all, uh, along with that, as, as we realize who we are in Christ and we look at our brothers and we say, hey, you know what, it doesn't matter how different you are than me. In Christ, we are one and the same. You have the same spirit at work in you. This was a big, th- a big thing for the Ephesians because they're, they're, the, the church initially started as a, as a bunch of Jews in the synagogue, but then it quickly grew bigger and so that these Gentiles, these people that have no, no uh, previous uh, background uh, in the faith, uh, they were coming in, and so it was a very diverse church. A very diverse church. And Paul was worried that there was going to be divisions and fraction, factions uh, opening amongst them because people tend to, uh, to veer uh, away along cultural boundaries. And he said, no, don't do that. Because you know what? In Christ, we are all unified. There is level ground at the foot of the cross. Amen? It, do, it, it doesn't matter what our background is. I love looking around this congregation. We've got a very diverse church, uh, age-wise, culturally, socioeconomically. We all come together. You know what? A lot of us don't have any other business at all with one another, but, we, but somehow we come together united in Christ. Amen? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that beautiful? Paul goes on. He calls, actually calls that the mystery of God, God's mystery, Jew and Gentile alike, gathered round in the same room, breaking bread together, worshiping together, loving each other, caring for each other's needs, people who wouldn't have any business together. It's incredible. It's, it's the reason why a, a, a bunch of uh, kind of renegade brethren and a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of stubborn Baptists can, can get together and form one church, and, and it just works, right? It just works. You know, it felt, so, it felt so, so easy when we did it. It's looking back, it's like, did we really do that? Did that really happen? It works in Christ. That's no small matter. I, uh, before I came, uh, we, we moved back here to Des Moines. I was working in a, a church, Scum of the Earth Church in, in downtown Denver. Some of you have heard about it. Uh, it, it was the epitome of a diverse church. And uh, it, was in, it was great to be a part of a community where there was so much diversity. Uh, and, and one of our favorite things to do is we would just go out. Was, uh, church was on Sunday night, so we would go out to a coffee shop or wherever and uh, come together. And, and uh, it was always the most eclectic group of people. I don't even know if eclectic is the word. Uh, we had some friends that were homeless that would come. We had some friends that were goths. We had some friends that uh, uh, were self-described as crusties. And 
I don't know exactly how to explain that to you other than uh, they look kind of like old punk rockers and they smelled worse than the homeless people. But anyways, uh, my friend Alan, who was a, a big uh, African-American poet with, a, with an afro, and, and all of us were getting together. We'd get this big, uh, big table and we'd all sit together. Uh, Craig and Fran Blomberg, who were, uh, who were uh, um, pretty well-known scholars at the at Denver Seminary, they would join us. Uh, just kind of regular garden variety uh, suburban white kids like Callie and I. We, we would just all be together. And, and um, one night, people were gathered around, and somebody came up, and they said, what in the heck? Who, who are you guys? Why are you here? What, what, is, what has got going on? And so they just said, hey, we're the church. We're the church. We just came after church. We, we, we go to Scum of the Earth Church. And, uh, you know, we, we like each other, and we, we hang out after church sometimes. She was so amazed by that, she had to come to check it out just to see for herself. She came to church the next week, gave her life to Christ. She, she want, she, she, uh, last I heard, she wanted to become a missionary. The mystery of God. The work that is accomplished in Christ that draws us all together. And, and finally, and I'm going to wrap this up now because I'm sure you are getting hungry. I, w- I was originally joking about that two-hour thing, but... Uh, um, uh, finally, remember your new identity and live according to it. Live according to your new identity. Uh, he says this uh, over and over again. Um, put off your former way of life. Forget about who you were before Christ. Live like a new person in Christ. You have been given a new lease on life. You have been given a new life. You have been given a new identity. Don't go back to that old way. Uh, just uh, verse 422. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and go and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. That's us. True righteousness and holiness. I don't know. Do you guys feel like that very often? You walk around in true righteousness and holiness? I mean, I, I, I can maybe go... Uh, I don't know, 30, 60 seconds at a time being righteous. And, and, uh, but the good news is it's not about me. It's not about my performance. The, uh, the church fathers, when they tried to explain this to people, they, they would call it an alien righteousness, something that is not natural to us, but something that is unnatural. They would call it being clothed in righteousness. We're literally cloaked in righteousness. The blood of Christ covers over us. We walk around in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thank God! Because if it was up to us on our own, we wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, so that's Ephesians in a nutshell. Uh, fortunately uh, for all of you, uh, we've got 12 or 13 more weeks to talk about this. So in, any damage I've done or confusion I've caused, hopefully uh, in the next three weeks, we'll, uh, we'll kind of get to the bottom of this. But in the meantime, read Ephesians. Read it, study it. Know the promises of God for you access that treasure chest it's bottomless full of richness understand your identity in christ as you're making new year's resolutions realize you don't have to do anything to be better you don't have to make yourself better all those things they've been given unto you yeah if you want to lose a little weight if you want to make a little more money if you want to do this or that you know that's okay But your identity is not bound in any of those things. It's in Jesus Christ. And until you understand that, you are going to be turning and turning and turning and spinning 
and you'll never get anywhere because all you have and all you need is right here in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I, I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, to wrap it up here, but I get more excited. Um, but uh, this is what we're going to do. Go, go ahead, Nick, come up here, and, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll bring the band up here. Uh, we're going to uh, take an opportunity, as we always do, um, when we break bread together. Uh, Paul uh, uh, recounts uh, Jesus' uh, words of the Last Supper when he, you know, he's, he takes the, the bread and he, and he holds it up, and he said, you know what, guys, this bread, this is, this is my body. It was broken for you, right? And anytime, whenever you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Remember. And interestingly enough, uh, remembering is, 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 is what, what Paul was trying to get the, the church in Ephesus to do, uh, to remember. In fact, uh, in the book of Romans, or in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus is, is mentioned once again. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. Remember your first love. Don't forget your first love. Remember Christ. Remember what he's done for you. So we come in here and we, we, we drink the juice and we eat the bread and we remember Christ. Remember the sacrifice and we remember all the promises that we have in Christ. Uh, one thing that we've done, uh, we, we, we've typed up, uh, this is uh, just a few of the, uh, the identity statements that you can find in the book of Ephesians um, about who we are in Christ. It's like, like I said, there's 33, 34 uh, individual statements. These are just some of them. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen to be holy and blameless in Christ. In Christ, I have been adopted as a son of God. In Christ, I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am lavished with the riches of grace. This is straight from the Bible. So as you remember today, remember the body, remember the bread, remember the promises. Take one of these, uh, look over it, take it home, put it up on your mirror, on the refrigerator, tape it to your your, uh, steering wheel. But as we study the book of Ephesians uh, over the next coming months, make a habit, make a point to, to memorize these statements. They are true. They don't always feel true. That's life. But they're true nonetheless. So we're going we're gonna to spend time and we're going to try and relearn these, these, these truths. We're going to try and, and memorize them to a way where they're not just up here, but they're in our hearts. They affect our, our lives and, and our attitudes. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Uh, thanks uh, for, for listening to me. And, and uh, um, please, please study the book of Ephesians. Please let its truth into your heart. Uh, I do believe that, that the truth found in Ephesians, the truth found in Scripture, the truth of our identity in Christ, it will change you. It will change us as a church. And I'm so excited to see what 2014 has in store for us as a church because I think we're going to go there. So God, we are, we are so thankful uh, for uh, just the, the incredible blessing that is ours in Christ. Uh, we, uh, we know that, that we did nothing uh, as Ephesians said, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins, and you have made us alive in Christ. Not only did you forgive us, you have adopted us, you anointed us, you filled us with your spirit, you gave us purpose uh, to, uh, to, to do the work of your kingdom here on this earth, and you have just continually lavished us and showed us your love and your acceptance over and over and over again. 
thank you for doing that for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out from here today, go out of here like the richest person on the face of the earth. Rich and generous and full of abundant resources in Christ. Go be the church. <laughs>